You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. When I finished this morning, I looked down at my watch, figuring I had gone very, very long. Uh, But I hadn't. We finished at like 12.05, which means I have so much extra time to work with tonight. So just get settled in. Would you promise me something? I'm afraid it's easy for us to come to church and just kind of get into the swing of things. And we sit down and we listen and we hear God's word and then we leave. I promise you he has something for you tonight and he has a decision that he wants you to make. Would you promise me that if the Holy Spirit would be so kind to speak to your heart somewhere during the message, would you make a decision for him? Would you come down to the altar and would you solidify that through a prayer? And would you go out and would you put it into practice tonight? Would you do that if the Holy Spirit of God would be so kind as to speak to you? Where do you want your family to be in a hundred years from now? By the time you are dead and gone, your children are coming up to the end of their lives. Your grandchildren are reaching the prime of their lives. Where do you want your family to be? Where do you want Heritage Baptist Church to be a hundred years from now? Do you still want it here, a lighthouse, now, maybe we've moved properties, maybe, maybe we've grown, but do, do you still want Heritage Baptist Church to be a place for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? Where do you want the city of Corpus Christi to be 100 years from now? And may I remind you, there used to be cities in America that were absolute fortresses of the truth that are now cesspools of wickedness. Where would we want Corpus Christi to be a hundred years from now? Would it be difficult to believe that if we continued down the path that the Lord truly had for us, that Corpus Christi could look different than it did than it does now? I would hope so. Where do you want our country to be a hundred years from now? And right now the road that she's on is not a good road. And I understand that the Bible teaches that there needs to be a falling away and that there needs to be, uh, that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. I understand that our country, just going the natural way that countries go throughout history, is doomed to fail. But do you want that to happen on your watch? I would hope not. Do I have to spend much time telling the story of Jonah? Maybe a little time, just to refresh our memory. Jonah was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. Now, Jeroboam II was an incredible military leader 
religiously during this time, better, spiritually during this time, Israel is not doing well. But militarily, they're doing incredibly well. During the reign of Jeroboam II, Israel was wicked, but they were prospering. And it's very interesting. If you read in 2 Kings 14, towards the end of the chapter, now don't, don't turn there yet, but if you want to make a mark of it, you can. Towards the end of 2 Kings chapter 14, it says right away when it introduces Jeroboam that he, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. There's no holding back as far as that is concerned. And yet, God allowed him and his military might to restore a large portion of lost land because God said, I promised that I would not let Israel be wiped out. I promised them. So I kept my word to them during the reign of Jeroboam II, even though he was an incredibly wicked king. But even more interesting than that, it says, the Lord restored the coast from like here to here in Israel, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Jonah. The first time we're introduced to Jonah the prophet is not in his book. It, we are introduced to him in 2 Kings chapter 14. The first assignment that Jonah has is to go to a wicked king and tell him, God's actually going to let you prosper. Now, when Amos comes along, Amos effectively undoes all of Jonah's prophecy. But God told Jonah what to say, and Jonah did it. That was his first assignment that we read of in Scripture. And it comes to pass, which shows us that Jonah was a true prophet of the Lord. The second assignment that we know of in Scripture is God telling Jonah, go to Nineveh and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. Now, Jonah must ask a question at this point. Why would you have me leave my people and go and preach to the Ninevites? Why would I preach to the Ninevites while my people need preaching more than any other time in their history? Why would you tell me to leave my country and leave my countrymen and go to a place that is well known for their wickedness? Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Stack the Assyrians against some of the countries and the atrocities that you read about in World War II. And Assyria is much worse. Oh, so Jonah was scared. Jonah was scared that if he went there, they were going to kill him and they were going to torture him and they were going to persecute him. No. No, Jonah knew why God was sending him to Nineveh. Nineveh is about 600 miles to the east. So he gets a ship to go 1,000 miles west to Tarshish. Okay, I said little time, so... Ship, storm, why, me, kill me, toss, splash, sink, alive, whale, gulp, belly, alive, still alive, still alive, 
Prayer of repentance, bleh, gross. Run, preach. And the entire city repents. The entire city. One of the most, if not the most wicked cities in existence repents and gets right with God. And God saw their works, that they returned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. This is why I ran, God. I knew you would forgive these people. Jonah didn't, Jonah didn't want to skip by Nineveh because he was afraid of their persecution. He said, I know if I go there and I preach, they're going to get right and you're going to forgive them. I know, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and repentance of the evil. And I don't want to live in a world where Nineveh is forgiven and my people are condemned. Angry, bitter, hatred, cliff, booth building, sitting, arm crossing, Muttering, watching, waiting, hoping for destruction, nothing, waiting, sitting, burning, heat. Gourd, happy. Worm, eat, dead, angry. It is good for me to die and not to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And this leads to a question that ends the book of Jonah. So let's go ahead and turn there. If you haven't turned there already, Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, and we'll go to verse 10. There you go. Thank you, Brother Mike, taking the lead. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. If you are angry over me, not sparing a gourd that you did nothing to create or cultivate, and it's lived for a day, what about those people that I labored to create? Right. What about those people that, what about that, those young girls that I labored to grow into women? What about those young boys that I labored to grow into men? What about those ignorant people that I labored to grow into educated people? What about those lazy people that I labored to grow into industrious people? What about those barren people that I labored to grow into fruitful people? What about those weak people that I labored to grow into strong people? You're all angry about a, a gourd. What about the souls that will last much longer than a night? What about the young people there whose lives still lie ahead of them like a blank canvas before him? If you would vote for me to spare a gourd, should not I spare Nineveh? 
that great city wherein are more than six score thousand people? Six score. Score means 20. Six times 20, 120,000. Persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. It's most likely talking about children. It's 120,000 just kids there, Jonah. You would vote for me to spare a gourd and you wouldn't vote for me to spare them? And also much cattle? May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. This question, should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle? That is a question of mercy. Would we agree? Why shouldn't I spare Nineveh? Why shouldn't I show kindness to that great city? Why shouldn't I give another chance to this city that harbors 120,000 children? They don't even know what's right and what's left. How do you expect them to know what's right and what's wrong? Observe how patient I've been with Jerusalem. Should I not be patient with Nineveh because they're Gentiles? Jerusalem hasn't repented. For years and years of prophet after prophet after prophet, and yet the entire city of Nineveh has repented at the preaching of one, a very reluctant one. Why shouldn't I accept the repentance? Why shouldn't I forgive them? Give me a reason, Jonah. Why should I wipe out all of these people to let their cattle just starve and die? Look at their humility. In chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it talks about them being in sackcloth and ashes. Look at their humility, Jonah. Look at their trust in my word. As soon as you preach to them, all throughout the chapter, you see they immediately responded. Look at their attention to your preaching. You're this crazy stranger that just showed up one day and just starts screaming, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And if you want to, I mean, that's awkward enough, but there's another thing that you need to know. You know, there are some scientific and historical evidences of people who have been swallowed by a big fish and they've lived. But what happens when you're in there is it bleaches your skin as white as Anthony's pants. I would have you stand, but they're holy and not like the, the, the not like the holy. <laughs> and, and the people in Nineveh are of the darker persuasion. And this guy <laughs> who is just bleached white comes in and starts screaming, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And yet, Jonah, look at how they gave attention to you. And they listen to you. And look at how they fear my name. They said, let's cry mightily unto God. They didn't know who God was. Let's cry mightily unto God. Look at the hope of mercy. They ask in verse 9, who can tell? Who can tell if he wouldn't forgive us? Look at the changed lives. They just didn't do this to do this. It says in uh, verse 8, turn away from your evil and your violence. Let's clean up our lives. Look at the unity in their repentance from the greatest to the least. They all got on the same page from the king to the pauper. And then look at the fervency in their repentance. They even told their cows, you're not eating today. We're all fasting, and your beasts are not excluded. Did they have to do that? Maybe not, but it showed their fervency and everything. Why shouldn't I forgive them? Should not I? 
You just told me, Jonah, I'm gracious and I'm merciful and I'm slow to anchor. Uh, anchor. I'm slow to anger. So should not I? You know who you know who you're talking to, right? Should not I spare Nineveh? But God, they're evil people. They're disgusting people. They're wicked and violent people. The reputation of their wickedness even makes the heathen cringe. But God's question wasn't, could you give me reasons why I should punish them? His question was, can you give me one reason why I shouldn't forgive them? This is a question of great mercy and love and grace and heart. Do you know that there are two books in the Bible that mostly focus on Nineveh? One is Jonah, and another one is Nahum. But Jonah is a much different book than Nahum. Jonah is a book of mercy. Nahum is a book of judgment. Joam is a, uh, Joam, wow, I'll get there. Jonah is a book of second chances. Nahum is a book of no more chances. Jonah is a book of salvation of a city. Nahum is a book of destruction of a city. Two books in the Bible that both mainly focus on Nineveh. And do you know they are the only two books in the Bible that end with a question? Both of the questions are from God. Both of the questions are about the same city. But that is where their similarities end. The question at the end of Jonah is, why shouldn't I show them mercy? The question at the end of Nahum is, why shouldn't I destroy you? Let's look. Nahum chapter 3. Just a couple books to your right. Nahum chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 5 and we're going to read to the end. Verse 5, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stock. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall fleet from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? When shall I seek comforters for thee? Then he asks this, Art thou better than populous? No. He's bringing up another city in history that was much stronger, much wealthier, in a much better economic standing, in a much better location as far as militarily than Nineveh itself. Art thou better than populous? No. That was situate among the rivers. They had waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea and her wall was from the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength and it was infinite. You know what we would say today when, when God is saying this? Too strong to fail, too big to fail. It was infinite. Put in Lubim were, there, were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away and went into captivity. A city much stronger than you is no longer in existence today. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets, and they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Thou also shalt be drunken. 
thou shalt be hid. Thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Draw thee waters for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. It will not matter. There shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Speaking of canker worms, make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The canker worm spoileth and flieth away. Thy crowner as the locust and thy captains as the great grasshoppers. You think that you have strength in numbers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun ariseth, they flee away. And their place is not known where they are. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute, report, rumor, all that hear the brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee. For upon whom has not thy wickedness passed continually. Whoa. What a big difference between the question of mercy in Jonah and a question of accusation here in Nahum from, could you give me one reason why I shouldn't show them mercy to, could you give me one person that your wickedness hasn't affected continually? Two extremely different questions about the same exact city. And here, I think, is one of the most incredible facets of both of these questions. They were asked only about 100 years apart. What happened? Nineveh, what happened? What brought this fall from the heights of repentance to the depths of wickedness. What is to blame for the drastic change in the heart of God towards you in such a short period of time? Because at one point, you all had it. At one point, you all had the truth. And God's mercy was evidently showered upon you. And now you're all dead at the hands of the same God that showed you mercy just a hundred years earlier. What happened? And God's judgment was so, so entire. And if you read Nahum's prophecy about what's going to happen and then you see what actually happened in history, it's incredible. Homework. Just, just look into it. Alexander the Great came through about 300 years after Nineveh was destroyed. And his generals had to say, Alexander, you are standing where Nineveh used to stand. He had no clue. Nineveh was the size of, of modern-day London. And God's destruction upon Nineveh was so complete. Archaeological evidence of Nineveh was not discovered until 175 years ago. To the point where historians started to doubt that it even existed. What happened in between Jonah and Nahum? Here's my answer. 
an older generation failed to pass down the truth that came to them. Somewhere in between Jonah and Nahum, a mother failed to teach her children about the forgiveness of God. Somewhere in between Jonah and Nahum, a father failed to teach his children about the need for repentance from sin. Somewhere in between Jonah and Nahum, an older believer failed to teach the next generation about the mercy of God. A grandfather allowed the story of the salvation of his soul to grow old with him. A grandmother kept the story of her salvation to herself. An introverted older man convinced himself other people will tell the story. A timid older lady convinced herself that she had no obligation to tell of the glorious forgiveness that came to her by God. Somewhere in between Jonah and Nahum, parents decided we don't want to force our beliefs upon our children. And the story of God's personal grace and love and mercy that had come to their home fell. Adults, if you want to know how important your voice is to the next generation, if you want to know how vital it is for your light to shine before men, if you want to know how seriously God relies upon you to share the stories of his mercy and his grace in your life with the next generation, you have to look no further than the contrast between Jonah and Nahum. But if you look further, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find verses such as Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And then again, because God had nothing better to say in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, he said, let's just say the same thing. Ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know what that sounds like? When you go to the grocery store, and you find a parking spot right in front. Hey, kids, look at that. You think that's a coincidence, or do you think God did that? Or when you buy an apple, and you take a bite of an apple, do you just let that go by? Or do you say, kids, isn't God, isn't God amazing? Look at this. Look at this. God is the greatest cook in the world. Have you ever just looked at, have you ever looked at an apple and the fact that if you cut it perfectly in half, there's seeds in there that are shaped in, in the shape of a star? And when you're walking and you see the wildflowers that, that are today grow and tomorrow are cast into the oven, kids, look at that. Look at what God did. Oh, that's ridiculous. No, that's what you're supposed to do. Or when, or when you have a bill that you're supposed to pay. I'm not saying you sit your kids down, guys, we're broke. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but when the Lord provides in a miraculous way, tell your kids about it. Because... Uh, 
You, you, you know, okay, so Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is written to Joshua's generation. The generation that's about to go into the promised land. Well, this generation obviously didn't listen because as soon as Joshua died, Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says, There arose a generation which knew not the Lord, neither the works that he had done for them. The older generation failed to tell their kids. Let me tell you one time, we went up to the city with enormous walls. It was called Jericho and we didn't even fire a shot. I didn't even have to rack my AK. We just walked around it. We just walked around it and got... When you have an issue with your car, but God works it out, tell your kids. When you're praying for something and God answers your prayer, tell your kids. Tell them, how else are they going to know? Well, somebody else will tell them. No, 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 no. You tell them. Psalm 71, 18. When I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Psalm 78, 5 through 7. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. What about the entire book of Proverbs, which is basically a book about a mom and a dad teaching their kid how to live? What about when Paul told Timothy, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. If you are 40 and up, raise your hand. I was going to have you stand, but you're 40 and up. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Brother Frank, you're, uh, no, you're like 30. What? Fountain of youth over there. My goodness. 40 and up, 40 and up. Okay. God is, you can put your hands down. God is counting on you. God is trusting you. God is expecting you. God has given you the responsibility to pass down the faith that you have received. Don't stay quiet. Speak up. Have family devotions with your kids. Go, go, go and get this or, or, or read a psalm a day. Do something. I have determined in my heart because I am, I am the worst at this. I'm the worst at it. It's so easy to say no, 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 no. I have determined I'm, I'm not going to miss for 30 days. And I am happy to tell you I did it yesterday. I haven't missed. <laughs> I have done it every day for one day. I don't want to miss that. It's my responsibility. Have family devotions with your kids. And if you're not in the mood to read, pray, pray with them. At least pray with them. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Share when God blesses your family. Tell them when he answers your prayers. Tell them stories of how you were saved and his grace and his mercy in your life. You have got the greatest story in the world in your heart. You believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Share those stories with them. And when you pass it down, for goodness sake, don't change it. Don't compromise. Don't. 
You understand that at one point your kids are going to put down their roots, right? They're going to put down their roots. And that is why Paul told Timothy, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same. Okay? And there is a line between right and what is wrong. And he said, here's what is right. Don't lean to the right hand or to the left. You just, what is true? Okay? Don't add your pharisaical traditions to it. And don't take away because you want to be worldly. Just the truth. The things the same, commit. But parents, when you start waning just a little bit, you start waning just a little bit, the kids are going to take where you're waning and they're going to put down their roots from there. And then they're going to... Where do you want your family to be 100 years from now? Don't water it down. Don't compromise with it. Pass down the things that you have learned the same way or you will start the countdown of destruction upon the next generation. When Nineveh, when Nineveh repented and picked up the faith, God asked, why shouldn't I spare them? But just a hundred years later, God asked the same city, why shouldn't I destroy you? And I believe it was because an older generation failed to pass down what was given to them. Or they did pass it down, but the younger didn't pick it up. Perhaps the mother did teach her children about the preaching of Jonah, but the children grew tired of the story. Perhaps the father did teach his children about the mercy of God, but the children saw no need for God's mercy in their own life. Perhaps the older believer did teach the next generation about the need for repentance from sin, but when the children compared their generation's lifestyle to the lifestyle of that generation, they said, you know, we're not so bad. Perhaps a grandfather told the story of his forgiveness when he grew old, but they just wrote him off as that crazy old man who always tells the same story. Perhaps a grandmother told the story of her salvation to her grandchildren, but her family decided times were different now and God wasn't so important anymore. Perhaps parents decided, as long as my children live in my house, you will live for God. But then the kids got resentful that their parents would be so close-minded. Perhaps it wasn't the older generation that failed to pass it down. Perhaps it was the younger generation that failed to pick it up. So if you are 39 and younger, raise your hand. Church, I, 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 want, you, I want you to see this, and we're going to stop for a little bit and praise the Lord here, okay? 39 and younger, raise your hand. 40 and older, raise your hand. That's a good mix, church. That's a good mix. Praise the Lord for that. Listen, 39 and younger, as much as God is expecting the older generation to pass down the faith, God is expecting you to pick it up. He's expecting you to make it yours. And I know many of your parents, and they're talking to you, and they're teaching you. Are you listening is the question. Listen. <clears throat> 
And if you don't have parents that teach you, don't you write yourself off as a victim and you have no way of ever living for the Lord? Don't do that in a church where Mia Gonzalez and Stephanie Garza and Rashawn Lane have come through. Don't do that. They've, ru they've ruined your argument. I'm sorry. And don't do that when the pastor's wife is a bus kid who made decisions for herself to serve the Lord. You are not a victim. You are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You're not a victim. You're a victor. And God has placed you in a church with older believers who are not afraid to show how God has worked in their life. At least I hope not. If you look around, you are surrounded by older people who are living messages of God's love. They will tell you of how God has showed their love, his love to them. Living messages of God's mercy and forgiveness and strength and provision. They could tell you story after story after story when they were in the corner and God came through. Living messages of God's protection and guidance and perfect timing and blessings upon obedience and cursings upon disobedience. But are you listening to those messages and what will you do with those messages? And the day has to come where you stop borrowing the truth and stop bargaining with the truth and stop renting the truth and stop trying to get the truth at a discount. Stop haggling the tr with the truth and you just need to buy it and sell it not. This is not my mom's Bible. This is mine. This is not my dad's King James Version. This is mine. This is not the older generation's convictions. These are mine. This is not the older generation's church. This is my church. That is not the older generation's building. That's my building too. This is not the older generation's bills. These are my bills too. And this is not the older generation's standards. These are my standards too. The music standards aren't just my dad's. They're mine. The, the dress standards aren't just my mom's. They're mine. I will make them mine. These are not just their beliefs. They are mine. This is not just the older person's God. He's mine. And by God's grace, I will make sure that he's my kids also. From mercy to judgment, from forgiveness to condemnation, from hope to hell in a hundred years. What happened? An older generation failed to pass it down or a younger generation failed to pick it up. Somebody failed to speak or somebody failed to listen. Somebody failed to profess or somebody failed to possess and it doomed an entire city. So I ask you again, where do you want our city to be in a hundred years? And where do you want our church to be in 100 years? Because right now, church, you all got it. You've all got it. Will your kids have it? If you have anything to say about it, will your kids have it? And don't pass it down, water down, but also don't, don't shove it down their throat with no patience. I'm afraid so many people pass it down in a way that it makes our kids not want to pick it up. Because we tell them, this is what, this is what, this is what, this is what, 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 what you do. This is what you do, and that's what you don't do. No reasons why. 
Rules without reason brings rebellion. Tell them why. Well, I don't know why either. Well, you have some learning to do because it's your responsibility. Where do you want our nation to be in 100 years? Because right now, I don't know, I don't know where we'd be. I don't know that we'd be in 100 years. And someone's going to have to ask, what happened to America? And my answer would be the same. Somewhere, a parent failed. And somewhere, a child failed. If you don't want that to happen, you older ones need to pass it down, and you younger ones need to pick it up. Or someday, your family and Heritage Baptist Church and Corpus Christi and this nation is going to lie in ruins and somebody's going to have to ask, what, what happened? Because at one point you all had it. Let it never be said of us. For the Lord's sake. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.